Hello and welcome to this NHS England podcast about innovative ways of working with people and communities. Today, we'll hear about how co-production is helping develop better long-term support for stroke patients in West Yorkshire. You'll hear from Katie Johnson, Rehab and Life After Stroke Clinical Lead for the West Yorkshire and Harrogate Integrated Stroke Delivery Network, and Andy Galloway from the New Citizenship Project. Hi, I'm Katie Johnson. I'm the Clinical Lead for Stroke Rehabilitation and Life After Stroke. I work within West Yorkshire and Harrogate Integrated Stroke Delivery Network and we are a a small team who work across the area to try and improve the quality of stroke services and eliminate inequity and share good practice. Hi, I'm Andy. I'm a business director at New Citizenship Project. We're a consultancy and a think tank and we believe that when given the opportunity people can and want to work together to shape the things that matter to them. We inspire and equip organisations to act on that belief, to think of people and involve people as citizens, not just consumers. And what that means in the health and care system is that if you just think of people as consumers, people's role becomes very limited to using and receiving services. But if you think of people as citizens with energy and knowledge and, and resources, then it opens up a lot more opportunities for solving a lot of the challenges that we face. So that's what we've been exploring with Katie and her organisation and, and others, uh, the teams in, in West Yorkshire. So looking forward to talking about that today. The project we're currently working on is um, we're working with people with lived experience of stroke, healthcare professionals and the voluntary sector to develop an online stroke directory which will be a repository of information for stroke survivors and carers for community groups and projects in their area that they can access. It will also be support for healthcare professionals including GPs to signpost people to things in their area and also enable healthcare professionals to refer to other places where people will be living outside of the area that they went to hospital in. The reason that we think it's really important to involve stroke survivors in this project is, as many people may know, stroke is the single leading cause of disability in the UK. Stroke can turn people's lives upside down overnight and people have ongoing recovery needs often for the rest of their lives. However, how stroke care is provided in the UK at the moment, there's been a long-term focus on acute hospital care, stroke rehabilitation in the community is starting to develop, but that long-term support and that life after stroke support is very much patchy across the country and in some places not really equitable for people. So we were really keen to try and develop that longer term support for people in the community, but really wanted to work with the people who know what they need to develop the resources that are really needed for them at the time that's right for them. And we were really keen to work with the voluntary sector as well in this because they're so linked in with what's in their local community and can really support with developing support groups and networks and support information that is appropriate for the people at at the time that they need it. So we started working with Katie uh, and the team back in 2022, early 2022, and we started talking about sort of how might we do this project in a way that, that involves people from the start and and achieve some of the things that Katie just mentioned. We worked to develop first, uh, bring together a group of people from across the VCSE sector, people with lived experience of stroke and people working in non-clinical and clinical roles as well to first co-create a a, what was first described as a a, a new stroke pathway for that care uh, but what turned into kind of a a stroke recovery journey which was one of the things that came out of that process was pathway isn't really a, a bit of language people kind of grasp onto. 
So we started with a storytelling workshop that was first about kind of uncovering the experiences that people had had around their stroke recovery journey and elements of that that were really important to hold on to in future, but also some of the areas that maybe weren't so good and, and should be improved in any future pathway. The really central theme for that was around compassionate care. And there were four ingredients that contributed to that. And in the second workshop, we came up with ideas and looked at what had worked elsewhere to bring those ingredients to life and to think about what in future might be helpful. And, and Katie will talk probably about one of those areas that, that was uh, around sort of mapping services and making those really accessible and known to people and a number of other things that, that, that you're working on as well. I think one of the big recommendations that came out of that piece of work and that came from the participants that, that took part in that set of workshops was that we want to keep this going. So we don't just want this to be a one-off piece of engagement or sort of co-production, but we want this to be something that we can stay involved in and, and, can, and can sustain and be something that people can come in and out of and can be used to improve services in the local area on an ongoing basis as well, which was great. So as part of the wider Integrated Stroke Network, we have spent a lot of time with this group particularly where the group decided how they wanted to meet. So we agreed on a combination of online meetings and in-person meetings, so we alternate one to the other. When we work online, sometimes this can be difficult to support inclusion and ensure everybody's voices are heard and participation. So we make sure we use things like breakout rooms. So we have smaller groups that have pieces of work to work on together. And then when we meet in person, we also have an online option that people can tap into. But we have a productive meeting where people are working on pieces of work within the meeting. And we tend to move these around the local community so people can access quite accordingly to where they live. The ISDN also has a patient and carer representative group and they sit on our steering group and comment on the work that we do and inform the work that we do. We also had some funding from our national policy team with some work around quality improvement in rehab. It's called Asquire and they supported a coaching pairs to work together to develop their quality improvement and coaching skills to then pull together people to develop what we call our stroke big rooms and this is a quality improvement initiative and they pull together people with lived experience and healthcare professionals together to design pathways of care to support the patient voice in designing those new pathways of care. The group came up with the idea of developing some in conversation with videos so we wanted to share the person with lived experiences perspective, but also get the healthcare professional's perspective. So we thought by bringing those two together to have a conversation, we can develop some videos. We're working with our local university media students to develop those videos, and we're hoping to add those to our online directory. We also involve people with lived experience in our interview panels, and I was interviewed by one of the people who's now in our co-production group. And we have some plans as well for using people with lived experience in our training sessions for healthcare professionals. We have a Yorkshire and Humber training and community practice forum and we have personalisation is on the agenda for February and I think this is an appropriate topic to bring patients in to, to share their lived experience and what matters to them when we're delivering healthcare. So I think what was really key for us was I had previously worked in a provider organisation and moving to the Integrated Care Board, I work, was working in an organisation that really support co-production so I had the support of our harnessing powers of community team who are really keen in supporting us to bring the voluntary sector alongside this work and Arfan who was leading the powers of community team linked us in with Andy's organisation 
they really set this work going. Uh, and I think what was really key to that was the approach that the New Citizens Project used, the language that was used, and just the complete lack of hierarchy in the room, which is for us as NHS staff is refreshing. It enabled people, especially the people with lived experience, to feel heard and to feel valued and feel that they had a voice. And I think that was really key to getting people engaged and keeping the momentum going. Yeah, Katie, it's really interesting what you say about the kind of hierarchy and how it's a refreshing approach to take in the NHS to do this work in a way that avoids those hierarchies, kind of moves away from some of the structures and some of the conditions that often, not just the NHS, but lots of institutions can create around this kind of work that are not necessarily conducive to people getting involved, as we would say, as citizens. Those structures tend towards people being treated just as consumers, just as people who, who might give some feedback, but, but then very much the, the role is on the institution to go away and deliver the work, you know, because they're the clever ones that can go and come up with things that will work. Actually, this is about creating the conditions in the ways that you've said, not just from the work we did, but from the work that you've been doing since as well, for people to actually contribute in ways that they want to as well. I think that's, that's really important. And that's what we see in all of our work when we're bringing together, whether it's staff and patients in a hospital setting or health and care, or whether it's, you know, in nature organizations, working with charities and, and people who are on the ground doing conservation, it's always a really refreshing approach to actually be working together in that way. I suppose from an achievement perspective, I think currently I'm more focused on what I feel really proud of is where the group has got to and how the group functions rather than the end product because I know we're not there yet. I personally feel really proud of how engaged the group are and how willing they are to contribute to the work. They're literally asking us for pieces of work to work on in between meetings, which working with the NHS as they are now, I sometimes feel guilty asking for people to do this work because I know how pressured people are, but there's a real engagement with the work. I actually asked the group this question, what we think we've achieved, and I hope you don't mind, I'm just gonna read a couple of things that they said. They felt that the long-term ambition, an ambition to work together beyond this project, the fact that we've developed a video about the work that we've done, we've got some funding, which a lot of other people working on this type of work haven't been able to achieve. We have a shared vision in terms of what we want to achieve and we, we all agree on that and we develop that together. And we now have our website name, All Things Stroke which um, came from the group and it's meaningful to them. And we've started to agree some of the content. What I'm also really proud of is the diversity of the group. And I think that's really key because the, the more diverse a group you have, the better cognitive diversity you have, then the better innovation you have. And also bringing together all these people who've had a stroke, but it's not just their experience of stroke that we're bringing to the room. It's all the other life experiences they've got. We've got somebody who's got background in journalism. We've got somebody who works with young people. We've got two people who've worked in the NHS. So all that experience is just a wealth of experience around the table that we can link in with other networks and have some real skills that contribute. I think what's different from the work that we've done before is absolutely what we've talked about, that lack of hierarchy, people feeling valued. And I think what people said they felt really proud of was that they're contributing to something that's really needed. I think a couple of the quotes that I've uh, had from our group was, we're developing a, a resource that we've needed for 20 years and it's never been worked on or it's been worked on but never materialised. Other people have said they're proud to be bigger than the town in which they're working in. And it's, it's about developing something that meets the needs of the people you're working with rather than something that's what the experts and policy say or interpret what is needed. 
I guess that idea of it being something that is really needed kind of speaks to some of the stuff we'll talk about maybe in the wider program that I know you've, that you've been part of as well around identifying the thing that you need to involve people in and then going from there rather than just saying oh, we want to do some co-production or we want to do some we want to do some involvement work or we want to tick the box to say that we've done it for this year and then have it over and done with that idea of identifying the thing that you need to work with people on and building whatever that intervention is afterwards is is the way to to actually embed this kind of approach and this work it's no good just doing the co-production for co-production's sake or involvement for involvement's sake if it's not embedded in something that is actually strategic and actually useful for what you're trying to achieve as an organization yeah we see that in in all the work we do with different kinds of organizations I think reflecting on the work that we've done, I have an awareness and I've had this conversation with Arfan who started out on this project with me from our Harnessing Powers of Community team. I think we both reflected on that we came to this with preconceived ideas about what the group would do and that drove the direction of the project. When we worked closely with Andy's team, they very much put the people in the group in the driving seat of the decision making and the direction the group were going in. And that enabled the group to devise the project that they wanted to work on, which wasn't the project that Arfan and I had set out to think that we would be working on. So that's my main reflection is that we come with our own preconceived ideas of what we want to do. And actually, that might not be what is needed. And the people who are involved in the issue will be able to identify what the issue is and help us work together to solve the the problem together. I think for me, it's around starting with the why is this a problem and who does it affect? And then bringing the people together who it affects before you start to work out how do we address this problem. But often, I think, especially in healthcare services, we start with the right, I think I know how to solve this problem. And I think the other reflection I have is around we come up against wicked problems all the time in healthcare and sometimes they feel too difficult to address. And this kind of approach is the perfect approach to address wicked problems because you've got that diversity, that cognitive diversity in the room. You've got different perspectives. You've got lived experience. You've got hopefully the voluntary sector. You've got somebody perhaps from senior management who've got the kudos to make the decision making. And then you've got hopefully clinicians who understand what the pressures are in the system. And if you bring all those people together, you've got all the brain power in the room to solve the, the really difficult problems. So for me, that's, that's a big reflection. I think the thing about how it's changed others, again, we had a, a reflective session when we met back in October. The healthcare professionals in the room shared that they really valued working with healthcare professionals from different areas and what they'd learned from each other. We know we work in silos professionally, but we also work in silos in terms of locality as well. So that was a great strength, enabling other healthcare professionals to work together. They learned from service users as well in terms of their lived experience. The patient story piece was really, really helpful to really get that understanding. And I think having the engagement has been really, really key. So like I said earlier, our ICB have been really supportive and are really engaged with supporting a co-production approach. But I've come from a provider organisation where I don't think co-production has been the first approach people take. So I think it's almost like a paradigm shift. We need to look at how do we address the culture so this becomes the norm rather than a tokenistic tick box exercise in terms of patient engagement. So we involve people with lived experience from the beginning and develop alongside them and go to them and ask them what the issues are rather than going to them with the problem and asking them to solve the problem halfway through the process of us starting it. I think one thing that I'm reflecting on with what Katie you've said there is around also the kind of this approach going beyond what happens in the room 
And we've seen this in all of our work, taking these kind of approaches. It's not just about getting to the end outcome, like what you said, you know, you, you don't necessarily think of it in that way already. It's about the process of getting there and actually building the agency of the people who are taking part as well, especially in health and care, people managing conditions, developing agency and having a meaningful role in something, whether it's your own care or other people's is how beneficial that can be. But more generally across the board, I guess for new citizenship projects, I was reading something the other day around museums. And if you attend museums, you're more likely to be active in other areas of society in terms of democracy and things like that. So the idea that building people's agency in one way in someone's own life, it might be thought of in sort of a small way, but actually the ripple effect that that can have for individuals is massive and for society as a whole, I think. And that's what we're interested in. A new citizenship project is how do you change the story of what it means to take part in society from being a consumer, just a passive person receiving services to an active citizen. I think all of these things add up to that. When I thought about this, I can't really identify one particular clinical area that stands out more than others because I think it could be applied to every clinical area personally. I think the principle of this way of working is really simple. If you have a problem that affects people, with healthcare professionals, we all work with people, work with the people that it affects to solve the problem. So I think that applies to every clinical area personally. I think it's about the conditions. You just need the right conditions. So like I've reflected, I think you need senior management support to enable you to work in this way. You need connections with the right people so you can bring the right people in. And then I think you need really good facilitators who don't come with their own agenda. And then you need an appetite for change. And I think those of us that are working in this way that are trying to raise the profile of this way of working so that others can see the impact helps develop the change in those conditions so I think I've been really keen to work with Andy and his team to keep celebrating this way of working because I think the more that we shout about it then hopefully the more others will see the importance and the impact and that this way of working has and I think that reflection on something that was needed 20 years ago still hasn't been dealt with is because these problems are difficult and it might take a year it might take two years to do this work as a co-production group but it's less than 20 years It's time consuming, but it's really rewarding work and it really has a huge impact and a lasting impact. One of the things we've seen through our work in the health and care system, whether it's co-creating pathways, doing those one-off projects around strategies or creating visions for services, We've seen that there's a lot of belief in, in this idea and there's increasing belief that's shown with the statutory guidance and, and lots of examples of this going on everywhere, of that kind of participatory, more citizen approach. And there's loads of inspiration to take and there's loads of resources for different methodologies and specific tools for, for people to use. But what we found was potentially missing is a sort of supported way to actually get started with it and a way of enabling people who do share that belief to actually act on it and actually do something. So the programme that we've been running as Katie's been part of is, is called Participation in Action and it's been basically a response to that so over the past 10 months or so we've been working with five teams across West Yorkshire who are all facing different health and care challenges and essentially the question we're sort of exploring is how do you get started with this stuff how do you actually find the right way to do it for you and your team and, and crucially I guess for us how do you do it in a way that sees people as citizens not consumers And we went into that with sort of three hypotheses. One was around having a process to follow and adapt, not just a, you know, a step-by-step guide would be a, a broadly useful thing. And that's what we provided to the process. The idea of framing participation in a purpose, which we've already spoken about a little bit, not just doing it for the sake of ticking a box or doing participation or co-production, but just identifying the thing that you need to involve people in because that's the best way of getting there. And then the third sort of hypothesis around if we can equip people to choose the right tools and know the potential tools that are out there rather than just equip people with a specific tool or methodology, then that puts individuals in teams, but also 
people within the system in a better place to be able to take this approach in other directions in future, not just for the duration of the program. We're interested in what it takes for teams to get started in involving people in ways that goes beyond potentially what the norm is. So if we look at the, the start with people guidance, although we're not seeing it as a hierarchy of participation where there needs to be, you need to feel guilty if you're not doing co-production, we are thinking about more the side of engagement, co-design, co-production, rather than that consultation and just sort of informing side of things. Where there's value, but it's less about really working with people as citizens and, and, and making the most of people's energy and resources and, and, and ideas. So yeah, to the question, I guess, around where can you apply these ideas, Katie's completely right. You know, you can do it everywhere. That's shown with the teams we've been working with. We've been working with AGK Wakefield on, on creating a sense of positive aging and how do you, you know, work, work with older people in, in creating that. We've been working with a team on uh, antimicrobial resistance and inequality and working with a local organization to build trust and understanding about some of the barriers to health and care. And, and a pediatric audiology team who's been looking at service redesign so working with younger people and families to especially focus on key transitions during their care and understanding what is important to people and and how you can design a service around that and on a sort of more internally facing perspective we've been working with the global partnerships team who are looking at ethical international recruitment and how do you involve staff who've been through that sort of recruitment pathway before to design a recruitment pathway that really works for people who are coming to the uk to come and work in the health and care system yeah, so I, I found that really helpful, Andy's um, team bringing all of these very diverse groups together because we've really learned from each other. We've been on very different points of the co-production journey and we've been able to lend each other experience, but also different perspectives. So working alongside the Age UK particularly have been really helpful because they come from a charity perspective and then bring a very different perspective. Antimicrobial resistance has been a very different clinical area, but I work alongside that team in our ICB so we can link in with each other and gain support. And sometimes the main thing that we've got from each other is just that boosting morale and supporting each other because it can be a challenging journey and and helping each other deal with those challenges has been really beneficial. So yeah, in terms of some of the key reflections from me, I completely agree with everything Katie said around around that. I guess the three reflections that we've got, and you know, we're, we're coming up to the final workshop in the process where we're going to be reflecting a lot more on on some of the learnings and uh, and publishing some 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 thoughts. But one of those is around the power of collaboration. So Katie spoke to that really well just now. The sort of how do you, you bringing teams together to share best practice, to share learnings, but also do that in a way that leaves a lot of space to talk about what's hard and what isn't so polished and shiny and all the successes because a lot of the time case studies you read about this stuff can sometimes feel like that like sometimes feel like we could never do that because it's so perfect we'd take us so long well actually a lot of the time the steps to get there don't look like that so having a bit of that conversation is, is really helpful and in terms of what that might mean for the wider system obviously not everyone wanting to do this work is going to be able to join a program like this and there's not going to be that necessarily available to everyone so I think the learning would be and I'd be interested in if Katie thinks the same here like is to to find the people who are doing that and create those connections and create those networks whether it's groups that meet once a month to discuss this kind of thing or bring in other perspectives I think whatever you can do to sort of find your people and have those opportunities to talk about this stuff and then therefore what the NHS can make 
maybe do to facilitate that as much as possible, I think is, is really worth thinking about. I like the idea of finding your people. They might not be where you'd expect to find them. I think if you've got that mindset, you appreciate co-production, you understand the impact it can have. When you hear people in different settings talking about the ways of working, you might latch on to them. So I've recently been to the UK Stroke Forum and listening to um, a clinical stroke team leader, community team leader in Northampton really spoke to me when I heard them talk about what they were doing because they used the patient stories as a really key driver to communicate with their chief executive to support their business case to support the need to develop their team and that all came from a co-production perspective that people with lived experience are a crucial part of their service delivery options so they have a rehab service with patients who access online rehab hands-on rehab and they have access to -to peer-to-peer support either online or in a group and I think they've really engaged people with lived experience in how they deliver their service but also use that voice to enable them to develop their service as well. There's lots of people out there and when you hear this work happening in other places then link in with those other people and see what you know how you can support each other. The second key learning we've had is around starting small. And I think this is something we take into all of our work, but that initial hypothesis that it shouldn't be about yeah, applying a specific tool or methodology, but rather having a kind of intention to involve people in a certain way and taking steps towards it is really important. So I think that can be really freeing. I think that's what we've seen in the program as well. Not feeling like you have to get to the really polished final product before you share it with people. Not feeling like you need to think of every eventuality that, that could come about before having a conversation with people often it's actually much more empowering for people who are involved in that and and actually motivating if you set some of the context and say we don't actually know what this looks like yet but we're interested in exploring this with you and what thoughts do you have on that and that's a, a really generative starting point for then deciding what the next step should be we often say it's about not making perfect the enemy of good and i think that's that's something that is hopefully sort of a freeing and a mantra for for this kind of work and then the, the third one is about being human. And I think, Katie, maybe you spoke to that a little bit around where we use language and the way that we bring people together. It's really important to think about how you can do that in a way that is as human as possible. Some of the things, some of the structures that we have within the NHS and elsewhere in our lives don't necessarily create the conditions for us to, to be human. It's like, you know, whether it's institutional barriers, competing pressures mean that we're potentially drawn towards creating participation opportunities that aren't actually that motivating to get involved in whereas if we can think about the language we use think about what we're calling things where we're meeting how we're meeting how we're gathering is that over food or is that over something else how we can have those conversations in a way that people want to get involved with them is is, is going to be the best way to start and yeah again to that point of getting like starting small uh, is often a good thing to think about so for us it's about returning to that big picture of what is the big challenge you're trying to work on and how can you work on that with people because i think the big acknowledgement is people care about this stuff this matters to people. So if you can create opportunities around that that, that people want to step into, then people are going to want to take part. Whereas if, if we sort of stick to the same structures, the same somewhat tried and tested ways of involving people, it's, it's not going to necessarily create the outcomes we want. When you're thinking about this kind of involvement opportunity, what is the one thing you're trying to work on that you need to get more diverse perspectives on? And how can you do that in a way that is as human as possible that you'd want to take part in if you were in that situation? It's probably a good place to start. It's so key, A, to getting it right, and B, why this work is so good. I'm thinking about it from our group's perspective and from the three different types of groups that are represented in our work. 
it speaks to all of them and I think from a healthcare professional's point of view we're so used to working in hierarchies and I think um, imposter syndrome is so common in healthcare because people may feel intimidated by the hierarchy in the room and as soon as you get rid of that hierarchy then people flourish and people are able to say what they feel and bring their true selves to the work. For the voluntary sector where they're maybe not used to working with healthcare and they've not been welcomed with open arms, this is an opportunity for them to bring their unique contribution to the table. And then for people with lived experience of stroke in our situation who are used to engaging with a health system where their knowledge is imparted onto them and they are kind of instructed how to follow that, that information, it turns that on the table where they are then leading something and they are then instructing others how they would like to be engaged in their own healthcare. So that is what's really unique to this way of working, what makes it great and where the impact comes from. So in terms of what advice I would give any listeners out there if they were looking at developing um, a co-production project, I would think about three things. Represent your community well. I think that's really key. Make sure you've got people from different diverse backgrounds, different perspectives from the clinical condition. So for example, for stroke, we have people there who've had different types of impairments from their stroke. So we have that breadth of lived experience. Carers have been a very difficult group to engage with because they're such busy people. So we need to think creatively about how we engage with carers and enable them to attend. And then there may be other people like we linked in with Healthwatch and the voluntary sector, our own patient and public involvement teams. And then depending on what you want to do, you might want to bring in people like business intelligence or data support. The well-led bit, I think, is really key in terms of how you facilitate the groups. And my learning has been that you probably need two people to facilitate the groups because that works really well in terms of supporting inclusion. So if one person's presenting perhaps on something, the other person can be looking at how we draw other people into the conversation. Make sure the facilitators are aware of their own agenda and their agenda doesn't lead the work and enable other people to develop that vision together. Make sure they're really good listeners. I think listening is really key because when people feel heard, they engage much better. So one of the things you mentioned there around kind of how you're structuring the group and how you facilitate and how that is really conducive to the way you're working, I guess. One of the hypotheses we took into the Participation in Action programme was, as I mentioned, around how we equip people to pick the right tools that are right for them and their challenge. And I guess it's worth saying for you, Katie, that's a group, that's a you know meeting at a certain cadence and in a certain way. But for the other participants in the programme, it, it might not be a group and it's, it might not be sort of co-production. It might be first just having conversations and, and understanding and building trust. And, and I think, yeah, trying to understand the, the breadth of ways that people could be involved is, is really important. And there's loads of great stuff, obviously, in that, in, in the guidance and in the various case studies that you might take inspiration from. And I was going to say about supporting that human connection, making sure that what we're doing is meaningful engagement and not tokenistic. Involve people from the beginning, enable them to, to drive the work. And sometimes you can just sit back and let the work happen because people are so engaged. And communicate regularly and clearly. I think that's one of the bits of feedback we've had from people in our group is that if we communicate clearly about what we expect of them, when we'll be meeting again, what what the timeframes will be, where we're going to be, all those kind of things, they need that regular information. And then I think we've all got a responsibility finally to develop the culture. So when we see the impact this work's having, but we also see where it's not happening, we are the people who can change that culture. So it's around shouting about the work that we're doing, doing things like this, sharing with your organisation and use the power of storytelling to connect. 
So as I said, we're, we're coming to the end of this program now. We've got our final workshop in February. So we're going to be publishing some findings from that, some reflections going into a bit more detail than I've covered here and, and hopefully developing some, something off the back of it, potentially some form of training or, or other opportunities for people to get involved in and, and sort of take this into their own work. So if anyone's interested in that, our website is newcitizenship.org.uk and we've got a mailing list and things like that. So if you want to sign up and find out about those opportunities and what we might publish, then yeah, please do. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHS England podcast. Our guests today were Katie Johnson, Rehab and Life After Stroke Clinical Lead for the West Yorkshire and Harrogate Integrated Stroke Delivery Network, and Andy Galloway from the New Citizenship Project. Links related to the project are available in the notes accompanying this podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to further episodes available by searching NHS England on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Also available from www.england.nhs.uk forward slash podcasts. Thank you.